first three sermons in this series. Uh, this is written by Peter, part of Jesus' inner circle, his inner triangle. But it's written late in Peter's life. Mid-60s A.D. is the best guess. About 30 to 35 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is not the Peter that was up and down and uh, hot and cold. Uh, the Peter that at one moment would pull out his sword to, to fight to the death for Jesus and the very next deny even knowing him. This is a more mature Peter. This is a Peter that uh, has really figured out what being a follower of Jesus, what being an apostle is all about, and has made literally all the difference in the world with his life and with his ministry. But, but in this context that we have, as First Peter is written, the world has changed from the time that Jesus walked the earth. The Romans are still running the show, but there is an increased persecution toward Christians. And Peter writes this letter to encourage those who are being persecuted, those who are struggling in so many ways to stand firm in, in the midst of the suffering that they're enduring, in the midst of the, the persecution that they are facing, and to live lives that are holy. Week one, we just kind of jumped in with the first seven verses of chapter one, and the big idea was to praise God for our gift of, of a new birth, of a living hope, of an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, and fade. Two weeks ago, we looked at verses 13 through 16 of chapter 1. Because of this great gift of salvation, because of this living hope, we are called to be holy. And we concluded that being holy can be defined in a lot of different ways, but the challenge that we have is to look more and more like Jesus in our lives. More and more like Jesus at church, of course, but more and more like Jesus in our homes and in our workplace and in our neighborhoods. And in our social gatherings. Last week we jumped to chapter 2 verses 9 through 12. And we concluded that we are the very people of God. It's adoption language. You are a chosen people. You are a holy nation. You are a royal priesthood. You are the very people of God. Today we stay in chapter 2 and we look at several verses of Scripture, beginning with verse 13. We're actually going to jump all the way into chapter 3. And in the midst of this study today, I want us to try to uncover what is the will of God for us as a group and what is God's will for your life. So right now, I don't even want you to talk to anybody. I just want right now you to take your sermon outline and I want you just to jot down what, what is God's will for your life. Define God's will for your life. There's no right answer. Define God's will for your life. How, how do you answer that question? In just a moment, Allison's going to put up a video, and we're going to see the testimony of an NFL football player. His name is Josh McCown. He's a backup quarterback for the Chicago Bears. Many Bears fans wish that he was the starting quarterback for the Chicago Bears. He had quite a run this year. And uh, in the midst of all of the, the fanfare that he's received, he had the opportunity to share his testimony. It was actually before this season began that he shared his testimony, but I thought it really aligned perfectly with trying to discover God's will for our lives, trying to figure out why circumstances happen in our lives that maybe we don't understand, trying to figure out, is God there even when we don't think that he might be? So let's look at that video right now. Let's check that out. We had little Cowboys helmets growing up. We'd get in the yard and we'd run around and play, you know, on Sunday after church, right before the Cowboy game would come on. And even then, starting to begin to dream of, you know, what it'd be like to do that on a, on a bigger scale. 
most guys were two or three year starters in high school and started a couple years in college and then going to the pros and my story's a little different. Uh, my junior year in high school, I was not the starting quarterback. I only got to play my senior year. I just remember thinking, you know, I'll just make the most of this year. I was drafted by the Cardinals and I hopped right into being a backup quarterback. There's a definitely a different stress level when you walk onto the field. Every level you go higher, you get more and more into the business part of it where these guys are doing it for their livelihood. I spent my four years there and then in free agency, uh, had the opportunity to go to Detroit, was there for a year and then was traded to Oakland. For me, you know, growing up and watching guys, you know, kind of stay with teams for a long time, you know, John Elway, Dan Marino and these guys, and, and so your dream is, that, I don't want a career like that. Changing and going to Detroit and then only being there a year and then getting traded, and so now you're kind of looking back going, man, this thing is going a lot different than I thought. So my career continued to kind of, you know, uh, change a lot, and uh, so after we left Oakland, we went to Miami, and I was there through the offseason and got traded, and to Carolina, we spent a couple years there, and my last year, uh, I was on IR, and so we went through the offseason and the phone didn't ring. And so that was the first time that it happened for us. I had been comfortable, and comfortable things had happened, you know, I'd always had a job. My prayer and my desire was just to be back in a locker room. So I go through that whole offseason, again, the phone doesn't ring, and so I said, you know what, I I've got to do something besides just kind of sit on my hands and wait, and I need to get out there and, and, and serve. started coaching at the high school level and man that was one of the big, biggest blessings I've ever had. We get beat in the playoffs in the second round and a week goes by and, and uh, Jay Cutler gets hurt with the Bears and the, the Bears call me. I found myself you know uh, the last two games of the season starting uh, at Lambeau Field on Christmas night. That's just what God was hitting me with. It's just like, there are things, there are moments, there are, there are paths that I'm gonna cross in your life that you, that are there, they're out there and, and you don't even know they're, they're coming. And what are you gonna do when you hit them? You know, and, and are you gonna join God in his mission or are you just gonna miss? And are you gonna be so consumed with what we got going on that, that we miss what we can do with him? Faithful to everything he, tells us about himself and uh, I think as much as in those situations in those situations that we go through in life that we try to paint that God is not being who he said he was gonna be that he's been who he says he's gonna be we get scarred and we get hurt because our because what we expected did not happen if I if I sit you know in my quiet moments I say I, I want to please God my heart is to please God then there's gotta be faith involved and there's gotta be things and elements in my life where I can't see what's coming next. If anything, it's encouraged me to push myself into those moments as much as I can. Maybe I can't see the, around the corner on this thing. You know, maybe I'm just gonna have to trust God, but maybe this is gonna be a good thing for me. Sometimes the, uh, the athletes that we cheer for or the movie stars that we embrace or the politicians 
that we rally around are, are different than, than we think that they are. And sometimes they have an amazing story to tell. And I appreciate so much um, the, the testimony of Josh McCown because it connects with so many of us. So many of us are at that point in life sometimes where life's not going like we want it to go. Maybe you're here today and life's not going like you want it to go. You're frustrated family, your frustrated job, your frustrated community, something's not unfolding like you want it to. And the temptation sometimes is to cry out and to say, God, where are you? And God's right where he promised he would be. And, and we, uh, we must never lose sight of that. We're looking at a passage of scripture today that you may hear me read this and say, what does that have to do with God's will? What does that have to do with the testimony that we just saw? Um, Play along with me this morning. Let's see if we can learn this together. First Peter chapter 2, beginning with verse 13. I'm going to read 13 verses of Scripture. Peter has these words for first century Christ followers, and they're relevant for us today. He says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will... That by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect. Not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he hurled their insults at them, he did not retaliate, but he suffered. He made, when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For this, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Word of the Lord, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. I've entitled the message today, Discovering God's Will. And there is a common theme, a common uh, imperative, a common command that, that connects verse 13 really all the way through uh, early on in chapter 3, some real practical application. But the big idea is this, and it's a tough teaching, and here's the tough teaching, submit yourselves. Submit yourselves. And when you think of submission, my, my guess is very few of you get a big smile on your face at the thought of submitting. Whether it's in the workplace, whether it's in, in your marriage, whether it's uh, with friends, wherever it may be. Maybe it's in the government context, the church context. The idea of submission rarely brings a smile to your face. I can remember uh, dealing with tough children in the children's and youth ministry when I was a youth minister years and years ago. 
And for some of them, it was just so difficult to be able to embrace the idea that I am being called to submit. Submission is tough, first of all, because it's unnatural. It's not natural to submit. When we teach our children how how they are to behave and how they are to live their lives, there is just something within them most of the time that wants to fight us. If you were to try to teach your teenage son or teenage daughter that is learning to drive, if you were to say, it's dangerous this morning outside because of the ice from yesterday and the snow from the middle of the night, there's a number of children that would say, okay. But there are some children that want to find out, teenagers that want to find out, what's it like to do a donut in the parking lot? And they do it, and they enjoy it, and they realize, wow, that's really kind of cool. Submission is unnatural. And and, uh, I remember teaching my son to fish. He wanted to learn to fish largemouth bass right away. And I said, Peyton, this is when he was a little dude, seven, eight years old. we got to learn to catch the bluegill first. He didn't want to catch the bluegill. They weren't big enough. And he would put big lures on his line with, you know, treble hooks, and he'd throw it out there. And he couldn't figure out why the bluegill wouldn't go after the, the, the treble hook bait that was that long. And when he finally submitted, and we got the, the smallest hook in the, in, the, in the tackle box, and just a little piece of a live worm, man, bluegill after bluegill after bluegill. Submission is unnatural. The second thing about submission that's tough is that submission here is voluntary. Peter's not saying submit because you're going to be beaten, although that did happen. He's not saying submit because you have to. Submit because you should want to. Voluntarily submit to the authorities around you. And finally, submission, bottom line, is difficult. It is a challenge. And so when Peter offers this command, this imperative to first century Christ followers, submit yourselves, there there were some that were probably really struggling with that teaching. There were some that were on the side of uh, intense persecution that couldn't believe the words that were coming out of the teacher's mouth as the scroll was being read, as the teaching was being shared. But Peter follows it up by telling us why we're being called to submit. Why submission? Simply put, for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. All through 1 Peter, Peter has this incredible passion that God's people would live their lives in such a way that their life would be a testimony. That the words that they say, but even more than that, the actions that define who they are would be a testimony of the greatness and the goodness of God. Remember last week how it ended? Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing evil, they'll praise your God in heaven. They'll have no choice but to look at your life and look how you live and say, wow, he's different. Wow, she's not like everybody else. There's something unique about this person that is a Christian. Why submission? Number one, submission, first of all, honors God. It honors God. Look at verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. It is a blessing to our Father in heaven when we go out of our way to submit to those in authority over us. Now, that's a hard pill for some of us to swallow. 
When I worked at Lincoln Christian College, I worked for some incredible godly men, men like Mark Searby, men like Lynn Laughlin. You'll know those names, some of you. My last year and a half at Lincoln, uh, a new administrator came in, and um, he, he was different. He, he was a different type of person. He had a different faith. He had a Christian faith, but a, a different way in demonstrating his faith. And uh, it was really, really challenging for me personally during that time to have spent time with Lynn Laughlin and to spend time with Mark Searby and then to go another direction. And, and one of the things that helped me get through that year and a half was knowing that by, by living my life, by going about my, my daily job with a passion, with priority, I'm honoring God, even if I disagree at times with the person that is my supervisor. A second reason that submission is important is because it enhances our testimony. Look at verse 15. It says, For it's by God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of men. Again, that theme. We, we see once again that by doing good, we're not propping ourselves up, but we're enhancing our testimony. We're telling a more full story. We're giving a, a bigger picture of who we really are as followers of Jesus Christ. Well, we're only through verse 13, and some of you are a little worried because you've got Super Bowl Sunday plans. Don't worry. We are going to spend a, a lot of time talking about practical application, but I'm going to do it in a, in a timely manner. Um, three areas of practical application under this big umbrella of submitting yourselves for the Lord's sake. And the first is the government. The first is the government. He said, submit to every authority instituted under men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God and honor the king. Um, I, I have a confession to make for, for you. Um, I think God in his infinite wisdom sometimes allows something as simple as a sermon plan to smack preachers right upside the face. I, I really do. Because I, uh, I was gone Tuesday night and I didn't get to watch a lot of the State of the Union. But in just kind of uh, getting the review of it, uh, much of what was shared from our president, I just have to tell you, I personally would disagree with. That's probably not a surprise to many of you. Um, he is not a politician that I resonate with from a political standpoint. And I found myself very frustrated, and I found myself uh, talking to myself in the living room. Not that any of you ever do that. My kids and wife always know that either politics or sports are rearing up when I'm talking to the television in the living room. But um, just really frustrated driving in Wednesday at some of the things that I heard and um, the state of the union as it was shared. And I get into my office, and I've got my cup of coffee, and I grab my Bible, and it's sermon outline day. And then I read verses 13 through 17. And I think to myself, you know, when's the last time I prayed for my president? Had times being very frustrated with my president. Had times arguing with uh, the political stance of my president. But when's the last time that I got on my hands and my knees and I prayed for my president? And if you would have been in my office on Wednesday morning, about 9.05, you would have seen me praying for my president, 
and then praying for my governor, and then praying for our local leaders, and praying for forgiveness. Does it mean we have to agree with everything politically? Absolutely not. Does it mean that we can't take a stand on issues that we think are important politically? Absolutely not. The worst thing that we could do as Christians is bury our head in the sand. But but I'm first and foremost guilty of this. Too many times I overestimate the difference a politician can make, and I underestimate the difference the Lord our God has made. And so let me just challenge you this morning. I know that that testimony probably is not going to hit a home run with all of us. Some of you may not be excited with what I just shared. Let me share with you two things about government. Number one, understand the limited influence of government. You may say, yeah, but what about this or what about that? We, We could make the case that this issue or that issue can have relevance for our lives today. Chuck Colson said it like this, the kingdom of God is not going to arrive on Air Force One. And I love 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning with verse 3. Paul says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. Remember the limited influence of government. And then secondly, remember that we stand in the shadow of the cross. And unfortunately, out-and-out rebellion can really send the wrong signal. It can really compromise our integrity as followers of Jesus Christ. We have no record of Jesus attacking Rome. We have no record of Jesus attacking the emperor Tiberius. In fact, when Jesus was trapped by the Pharisees of the day on the issue of taxes, should we pay taxes or not, Jesus didn't even have a coin. He said, give me a coin, a denarius. And he said, whose inscription is on the coin? What what did Jesus say? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to the Lord's what is the Lord's. And so as we go about our lives in politics and with government, remember, pray for your president. Pray for your governor. Pray for your local leadership. And most of all, honor Jesus Christ. Second example that we see from our text today is the workplace. I'm going to call it the workplace. I'm going to read this and you're going to, most of you would say this doesn't really maybe resonate with your workplace, but when we look at the first century world, we see that there is some connections. Verses 18 to 20 says, Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only as those who are good and considerate, but also as those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he's conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good, you endure it. Is it, it this is commendable before God. First and foremost, slavery cannot ever be commended. Slavery in the Bible is very different than the American slavery that, that we witnessed 150, 200 years ago here in our land. In fact, one-third of the Roman population was made up of slaves, and racial factors did not come into play. Education was encouraged in many circumstances for slaves, and in many ways, slaves of the first century world were common in some ways to 21st century, maybe blue-collar workers. Now, were there abuses? Yes. Were there extreme situations? Yes. 
But I think it's very fair to look at verses 18 to 20 as a good way for us to um, embrace how we should live in the workplace today. And two things that I want to just encourage you with when it comes to the workplace. When the Christian does not have a submissive spirit in the workplace, it can really ruin your testimony. If you're the employee that's always going against what the company has to say, if you're the employee that's always leading the rebellion, it can harm the cause of Jesus Christ if in the next breath you say, I'm here today to be the salt of the earth and to be the light of the world. Again, are there issues to stand up for at times? Absolutely. Is there a time to, to, to say, I, I have a concern here? Absolutely. But a consistent, continual spirit of rebellion cannot help your testimony. Secondly, submission in the workplace, and I've seen this true, it has to be an intentional effort for so many people because many of us naturally rebel against authority. And so it's, it has to be a matter of our prayer life every morning saying, God, I'm going to work today and man, I've got issues with my boss or I've got issues with, uh, with the, the folks that are in charge, but help me to be the salt of the earth. Help me to be the light of the world. Help me to have the right words to say. Help me instead of agitating others to calm others. I love people that are able to walk into a very volatile situation and their mere presence alone and the wisdom of their words can turn down the temperature in the room. They're thermostats. We need Christians who are thermostats. Uh, there, there's a third example, and it's in verses, uh, it's chapter 3, verses uh, 1 through 7, and, and it could be an entire sermon. It probably should be an entire sermon, but the, uh, the practical application is marriage. Listen to verses 1 and 2 and then contrast it with verse 7. Verses 1 and 2, Wives, in the same way be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and the reverence of your lives. Husbands, verse 7, in the same way be considerate as you live with your wives, treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now, I understand if someone wrote that in the New York Times and signed their name to that, they would immediately be labeled a a sexist, a hater of women, outdated. I mean, they would just be laughed off the the editorial pages of the New York Times or most other newspapers. I understand that. Look beneath what Peter is saying and look at what the motivation in each instance for wives and for husbands is to bring glory to God and to help their partner in marriage grow deeper in the faith. Submission, we've made it a bad word. We've made it a weak word. We've made it a a negative word. And Peter right here with the illustration of marriage drives home how a wife can have more influence than any other person in a husband's world and vice versa. And so maybe that's your takeaway today. If you're sitting here today and and, and you want to see your husband or you want to see your wife grow in the faith, Maybe the encouragement of 1 Peter 3 is exactly why you're here today. 
when we talk about God's will, that maybe that's what God's will for your life is today, that you strategically begin to make changes in your life, in how you communicate, in how you live, in how you engage. I could share testimony after testimony after testimony of wives who have taken 1 Peter 3 seriously and have either led their husbands to the Lord or have helped their husbands grow in the Lord. Some of the leaders of your church right now have shared with me that testimony about their lives. My wife was the greatest influence in my spiritual development. The big idea for this whole message today is this. Biblical submission leads to freedom. And you think, how's that possible? How can submission, how can giving in, that's how our minds work sometimes, how can that lead to freedom? That's what this whole teaching by Peter is all about. Biblical submission leads to freedom. Now, I skipped a chunk of Scripture, and some of you that are really paying attention are wondering, how can you skip the best part of the passage? I'm not done. Number four is this, the motivation for why we should live lives of submission. It's because of our model, the example of Jesus Christ. Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. I've recently, it's just kind of a convergence of events, but I have watched the end of the Passion of the Christ. I have watched the uh, Session 9 of the Bible DVD that depicts the death of Jesus. I have read extensively about the death of Jesus this week with with a new book that, that I was reading. And then we have verses 21 through 25 that describe in detail the model, the greatest model for our lives, Jesus Christ. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore your sins and my sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. By his wounds, we have been healed. And so my bottom line for you this morning is this. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. Two weeks ago we said, let's let our lives look more and more like Jesus. We'll never be just like Jesus. But let's try to look more and more like Jesus. Today it's all about attitude. It's all about perspective. It's all about what's going to roll through your mind when the alarm clock goes off tomorrow morning. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for today, and thank you for a tough teaching. I need tough teachings in my life. We need tough teachings in our lives. And it's my prayer that, um, that I will be submissive to your word that we will be submissive to your word and that we'll never lose sight of what being a follower of Jesus is all about. Give give us opportunities this week in whatever situations you bring to us 
to live as your followers that are on fire for the faith. Help us to fan the flame. Help us to make a difference. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.